As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Wednesday, July 28th. I barely know what day it is. That's been the case for about a month straight now, Eno. I am <laughs> at my in-law's house. The lighting in here is very different, so if you want to make jokes about my shiny forehead in the YouTube comments, please be kind, but go ahead and make those jokes. I was just saying you look like you were in a closet, so... Yeah, yeah, make make jokes about the setup. Uh, I think I'm sitting close enough <laughs> to the camera to block all the piles of, of stuff There's definitely me. Tupperware, you can see. <laughs> Tupperware? Yeah, I got to get this shoulder up there. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go easy on you. Moving. I've, I've read once that moving and getting married um, and having children are the most stressful uh, things that can happen to a person. And in my life, I've almost always combined two of the three. <laughs> so be, be happy. I guess I'm saying be happy that you're not also having a baby. Although I think changing jobs is probably on that list. And you are you are moving and uh, your wife is changing jobs. So that's uh, that's going to be a, a nice a nice one for her. Because, you know, what's going to happen is the other part of moving is you arrive and all your crap is in boxes and maybe on day two or three you're expected to work again and you're like honey where's my arm for my mic yeah <laughs> and she's like sorry gotta go <laughs> <laughs> yep that's pretty much how it works and uh we're living out of the boxes right now which will have to be like sealed back up and then thrown into the car <laughs> or into the u-box it's a whole ordeal i would happily pay some money to not go back to my old apartment in Madison ever again, but I can't. There's still some stuff that has to be taken care of there, so a couple more days of maintenance there. And then the long drive. Disgusting last cleanup session where you're just tired and it's 3 a.m. and all you want to do is leave. (laughs) just want to go home and sleep. Go to the next place and sleep and you're just like scrubbing the floors. I will say, I hope that there, I think think that you'll have a moment when you have everything in the car and uh, you start that journey where it'll feel like you're on a rocket ship, you know, because you're just you're 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 cha- like you're changing your life in a way you've never done before. And you're 
and you're going further than uh, a lot of people in your family, and you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be doing something new. So yep. it'll be uh, it'll. I think that'll feel that part will feel good, and then then you'll land back into the crap. What box did I put it in? <laughs> the rocket is scheduled to launch on Monday morning, and it's supposed to land sometime uh, early Friday afternoon. So fingers crossed that the and I totally holds. have co a co-host in mind. Totally. <laughs> Totally yeah. ready to go. Everything is going to go real smooth uh, while I'm not around for a week. And uh, obviously, I missed doing the show on Monday. They know I, that's a lie. They've heard me do the ad reads. Oh, come on. You can practice. <laughs> I can send them to you early if you want to get to those a little early. Um, uh, we do have a schedule change. We mentioned the possibility of doing a show on Saturday to recap the trade deadline. Logistically, not a good idea for like 10 different reasons. So. We're going to do the usual time on Friday, talk about all the trades that happen between now and then. It seems like it's a pretty active deadline. Yeah. You know, so like we have a lot to talk about today. We you do. Know? And and I think that even on Friday, we'll have more to talk about because it sounds like Max Serzer is about to uh, leave Washington. And it sounds like Jose Barrios is maybe about to leave San, uh, Minnesota. So between those two things, we'll at least have uh, some stuff to react to at the top of, of the Friday show. And today, stock full of, uh, of stuff to talk about and interesting stuff to talk about. Not just, you know, just a little trade here or there. Kind of like uh, very interesting trades, I would say. Yeah, starting with Starling Marte to the A's. My script said Yankees. I said that on Friday. So scrambled eggs all over my face, but... A uh, pretty good return here for the Marlins. Jesus Lazardo going back the other way. I mean, we talked about him as a, a long-term by low, a player that we really like and keeper in dynasty leagues. I thought he was still a pretty clear part of the A's plan. I didn't really see him going in a deal for a guy, especially who's going to be a free agent in the offseason. Clearly, the A's are serious about trying to make the playoffs and trying to make a run this year. Marte is a good player, does make them a lot better, but I do didn't think that was going to be the priority ad for them. I thought them two middle infield spots, if they were going to go flip Jesus Lazardo, I thought it was going to be for maybe a multi-year controllable player that could play one of those two middle spots. Well, Piscotty and Brown are the worst left field combo in baseball right now, or right field. I forget exactly where they play. Uh, I should know. I watch them all the time. But they are not very remarkable, I have to say. <laughs> uh, I enjoy talking to Steven Piscotty, but they, uh, watching him play has not uh, been so great this year. And so that's the big upgrade. The The reason that they got... Um, Jesus Cesardo to uh, to Miami is because Miami's going to foot the whole bill. And uh, I think there was a considerable amount, about $4 million on Starling Marte's deal. So um, the A's uh, look like they, they needed someone to foot that. So I guess that takes them really out of the Trevor Story uh, running because that's another $5 million or so unless they wanted to... Uh, keep this one neutral so that they could actually spend some money on story. I mean, if they did that, uh, story, Marte, and Chafin feels like that would be among the biggest hauls in um, in uh, at the deadline. But I think even even Marte and Chafin puts them near the top, and they're always pretty aggressive at the deadline. For me, Lizardo is very interesting because um, when the A's moved into the bullpen, they didn't say that he was. Um, gonna start anytime soon then they moved him back to the minors and they were stretching him out but the results weren't that great 
And we've seen a long time now of pretty poor results for Jesus Lazardo, and I think that we're we're ogling his his fastball velocities too much. Hmm. If you look at uh, Stuff Plus, it tells you the story of uh, a decent curveball, a pretty good curveball, not like a, a world beater, uh, a pretty good changeup, and then below average fastballs. The shapes aren't good. The sinker right now is basically exactly league average in terms of shape, and that's terrible. That's that's what everyone practices for. That's what everyone's ready for. That's what every hitter, that's the average, right? Like there's just no deviation from average there. That's 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 what everyone's sort of eyes light up when they see a sinker. And what sucks about that is that, so he's tried to, you know, improve his, his four seam and he has improved his four seam this year. It's still below average because he's got a bit of a sinker arm slot. So I don't actually know what to tell him to do except for maybe not throw the fastballs very much. And then you put a lot of pressure on his breaking ball command, which is not amazing, honestly. It's a league average command plus across the board, but it's below average command on the breaking ball. He leaves it up. So I think the solution might be to be a reliever and gas his way through all these problems. If he throws 97-98, I think eventually he can find and and focuses on one of his secondaries. I think eventually he could find success as a closer. I'm not saying it's a definite thing. He could be a back-end starter. But there's a lot of work to do. The A's don't seem very amazing at doing it. That was That's what I wanted to get to, is that the Marlins have a much better recent track record mm-hmm. of developing pitching. So I think if you look at Lizardo now, and, and thank you to the baseball gods for not letting him go to Colorado in a story deal because that would have just been the end for Jesus Lizardo. If you look at this from just a pure paths to remaining a starter perspective, there are other places he could have went that we'd be excited about, right? If the Astros, the Dodgers, or the Brewers, any of those teams ended up with Lizardo, we'd be optimistic there. But I think Miami's definitely on the kind of knows what they're doing developing pitching side, at least in the kind of knows what to do. They might be even good at it. So... I think the short relief thing is still, to me, a little bit of a a downside scenario. And that's a good scenario to have a high-leverage reliever that throws 97 from the left side, shortens up the arsenal. For, and for a bunch out. of years, too. Yeah, right? for two months of Starling Marte, who you can sign back in a couple of months if you really like him as part of your organization. And you've already offered a deal, too, and he said no. Yeah, so I think I'm, I'm more... I'm actually more inclined now than I was a week ago to trade for Lizardo, just because I think the probability of him figuring it out as a starter has slightly increased with the change You're in organization. You're talking fantasy now. Yeah, just purely from a fantasy perspective and, and from a long-term value perspective. They've got plenty of other starters. If it doesn't work out, you know, fine. They'll they'll shuffle somebody else in and let him be a reliever. But At least the park will help him. You know, they seem very good at developing change-ups, so maybe they've got, uh, they can help his change-up, which has kind of slid to about league average. Mm-hmm. So that's what. I, but the one thing that I worry about is just the fastball thing. I just don't. I don't see a way out with Sandy. You know, they were like, "Here, try to throw the four seam more often." It didn't work, and then they were like, "You know what? Your two seams better. Just throw it," and it worked out. Pablo Lopez. I wouldn't say that his fastballs are his best aspect. So maybe they could actually take a sort of Pablo Lopez um, method to 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 success, which is just throw the fastball less, I guess. Right. And because Lizardo throws so many other secondaries that we talked about before, like that opens up the door for him to keep tinkering away and, and maybe find something that works to get him off that fastball. And uh, it, it'll be weird uh, to say the least the, to see that mix come out the way that it does. But I thought it was a nice trade for the Marlins and, and certainly not a bad trade for the A's who probably aren't done. 
Uh, I think Chafin, as you mentioned, the bullpen, nice upgrade. Not a guy who's going to close, right? You said you were getting questions about people or from people asking if he was going to close in that bullpen. I don't really see it working out that way. Yeah, I mean, by stuff plus, he's seriously, uh, he's he's inferior to um, the other guys, Diekman and Trevino, who've been closing. Um, and another way of just saying it is, uh, the other two guys throw harder and strike more guys out, and that's just been traditionally uh, a thing that's been linked to being the closer. So I, I think he's just, I think he allows them to sometimes use Diekman as the closer of Trevino, because Trevino sometimes gets hit. He's a righty. If there's an all-lefty lineup, I think, you know, Diekman is the, is the right choice. So I think he allows them to kind of platoon a little more at closer, um, which is bad news, I guess, for owners of all three players in fantasy. Uh, but good news for Bob Melvin to just give him more options. Absolutely. AL West has been very active so far. The Mariners are doing stuff. <laughs> I like the quotations. That's <laughs> what, what they're doing. They're doing stuff. Quote, unquote, doing stuff. <laughs> we don't know the exact direction, but Jerry DePoto is doing Jerry DePoto things. Kendall Graveman, Rafael Montero, who was recently DFA'd, gone. They are now in Houston. Abraham Toro and Joe Smith come back to Seattle in that trade. And based on some of the tweets I've seen from Corey Brock earlier in the day on Wednesday, again, looking up if you're watching on YouTube because I can't remember what day it is, Abraham Toro probably not getting flipped in a subsequent deal. Probably a guy that will get an opportunity to play regularly in Seattle. And he is a former prospect of the week on this show. So I think you and I are both probably pretty excited about the possibility of Toro getting a 50-game stretch where he can be an everyday guy with the Mariners. Yeah, that is one the one thing that's uh, that's kind of missing. He's kind of gotten opportunities in short stints in Houston. Because what I would say is the reason he was on our radar was that he kind of combined statistics that we enjoy, which is just like a good strikeout rate, a really good walk rate, an above average ISO um, or isolated slugging percentage, um, and then uh, a good batted ball distribution, which is close to sort of one-to-one ground ball to fly ball. Um, just seemed like a really solid all-around player who stole some bases, not expecting him to steal a lot of the major leagues, but that just means he's not super slow. Um, and he played a position, so he's not he's not one of these lumbering first basemen. The the I guess the the caveat is he has a four point seven percent bail rate uh, with two hundred batted ball events so far in the major leagues, which would suggest the power's not there. Thirty percent hard hit rate, but I would say that like he's had sixty batted ball events in 2019, 64 in twenty twenty, ninety in twenty twenty one. It's not. It's not the same as saying he got 200 bad balls in the same season in a row. You know what I mean? Yep. That's just obviously more information than 200 bad balls over different broken up stints over three years. I just, it's, it's, uh, I don't think we've gotten the full information on how well he can hit. But that, it is, um, it is what some members of the scouting community are pushing back on. But, you know, Kevin Goldstein, who worked with the, with Houston, said that they got calls on Abraham Toro all the time because of, you know, the kind of stuff that we saw. So, any in either case, uh, it this one is, uh, I think, super complicated. Because it is sad that they just had a huge win against the Astros. The huge walk-off, Grand Slam, Dylan Moore, just pandemonium it's one of the better calls i've heard 
just just a really lovely game against the Astros with fans in the seats. They're in the wild card hunt. You know, they the young guys are here to some extent. Gilbert's pitching well. Let's go, you know, like LFG, you know, <laughs> kind of season. And then they go and trade. But obviously a month of Kendall Graveman is not worth the same at a shot as a shot at a major league regular for five, six years. It's just not, you do that trade intellectually, emotionally. You saw all these quotes coming out of the players. I mean, you saw that, right? The, the Ryan Divish uh, quotes about the, Oh, you didn't see that. Yeah. You're moving. Uh, (laughs) The, the, the players were emphatic and, were tearing the front office apart, just saying they were tired of this S and, you know, this is BS and um, all this stuff. So I could believe that maybe Kendall Graveman was a loved uh, player in that clubhouse. He had been bad uh, with the Mariners and had was having one of his best seasons. So that's like something you root for as a teammate. He was had been the closer and stuff. At the same time, since the sticky ban was put in place. Kendall Graven is number six in lost stuff. Plus uh, when you just compare post sticky band to, to before, um, I think he was in the process of losing the closing job to Paul Seawald, who has really good stuff. Plus numbers. You looked it up. What was it? 125.4. Yeah, I think that was yeah, excellent. Really good. I think he dropped his arm slot a little bit um, and is kind of doing this low to high thing uh, where he's uh, got a lower arm slot but pitching high in the zone. Uh, So I think he's just uh, full of deception. Decent velo was kind of taking that job anyway. So I think this is super complicated on so many levels. I agree. I'm not one of these stat guys that says that the emotions don't matter. Like I agree that this is kind of kneecapping them. At the same time, they went out and got Tyler Anderson the next day. I mean, he was saying, you know, uh, I'm like we're doing stuff as part of a plan. You know what I would just say is there's a lack of communication. If your players are going to go out and blast you for this, if you think that might happen, I know that there's like the Billy Bean type of executive is like I make the moves and I don't want to be down there and I don't want to be in front of the players and I don't want to take the heat. I think in this case, you take the heat. And you go down to the clubhouse and you give Graven a hug and you say whatever it is. Maybe it's a handshake, but whatever you say, <laughs> maybe you're not that kind of guy. Maybe you're not a hugs guy, uh, but you, you, you say thank you for everything. Uh, and you say uh, there's, there's just a lot going on in this trade deadline. We're buying and selling, try to give them a hint that this is not the last move. We're not only selling and uh, that he just got caught in the sort of maelstrom of, of baseball and they really appreciate everything he's done and just kind of do something nice to kind of head off these emotions, do something. That's the one thing that I think the, 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 the Rays do better than a lot of these analytics forward clubs. The, the players feel loved even as they know intellectually they're being used. <laughs> I mean, we had, maybe when we had Jake Odorizzi on, he was like nothing but love for the Rays, but they also use the best of everyone's, career and mm-hmm. and then move them along you know so uh but they do a better job of that like nothing but love part you know so um with tyler anderson in that rotation 
Um, I think that Justin Dunn uh, could be like a really good reliever for the short run and still have uh, still be stretched out enough to, to maybe contribute as a starter next year. So maybe that was their idea of like, we'll just replace Graveman with Dunn, get Tyler Anderson in here for not much prospect capital. And we end up with, we end up with Toro and Dunn and Dunn might be better than Graveman post sticky stuff ban. So I don't know, man. I like, it's, uh, I think that it's easy to sort of jump to the black and white and be like, Mariners bad, analytics bad, trade bad. Uh, I think this is a kind of a really complicated one. Uh, maybe made worse by some communicative tendencies by Jerry Depoto. Right. Maybe. I mean, it, players could also We're be, not in be there. mad even if they got the information. You, yeah. Your friend gets traded, you're not happy about it. But I, I think the type of players they got back, Toro and Joe Smith, I mean, those are guys that are on the big league roster. It wasn't rookie ball guys. It, it wasn't right. waving the white flag. And then that follow-up trade for Anderson... I, that should have been the other signal. Like, no, we're we're still hanging around here. We, we believe we can we can do something. We're not just punting on this season. Yeah, Carter Bins and, and Joaquin Tejada went to Pittsburgh as part of that Tyler Anderson deal. I mean, you don't trade for a guy on an expiring contract when you can't offer a qualifying offer to a player you traded for, which I don't think Anderson's quite at that level anyway. You don't make a move like that if you don't think there's something in it for this season. There's seven back of Houston in the AL West as we begin the recording on Wednesday. A five and a half percent chance of making the playoffs, just a tick behind Anaheim. Even the five and a half chance of making the playoffs is a one-game playoff. Like, ugh, yeah. come on! Like, you get you could get a major league regular for one game play. I, like, stay in it, yeah. Improve the team, but like, do, do are we sure that Tyler Anderson and Abraham Toro are going to be worse even this year? Like, the team is going to be worse with Tyler Anderson and Abraham Toro this year than they would have been with Kendall Graveman. They're better, probably, right? I mean, like, look at look what they upgraded on the infield. Like, they were using two catchers in the lineup. They had Cal Raleigh and Luis Torrens in the lineup together. Oh, yeah, Torrens was DHing, dude. Jake Bowers is their first baseman. Yeah, so they're a better team after these moves than they were before them. And Here's something I wanted to see. Check this out. Andres Munoz. Threw off a mound Saturday. One more piece maybe coming back. I mean, that would be an excellent sort of September surprise, I think, for the Mariners. And be like, I mean, you guys were whining about Colonel Graveman. We got a 100-mile-an-hour, uh, you know, closer type coming up. I don't know exactly when he had his surgery, but he missed all of last season. So uh, he could be he could be coming back. Well, I actually like what the Mariners have done so far, and I'm convinced that in the 48 or so hours they have left to make deals, that they will. There's one more. They'll make more. Yeah, I don't know. It is which Jerry Depoto. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, they, they could make an eight-player trade, and it wouldn't surprise me. And it'd be like, yeah. oh yeah, okay, that kind of helps them now, and and doesn't hurt them in the future, and that that fits what they're doing because their young core is coming up. They have a very good farm system. They are going to keep bringing in reinforcements internally, so everything they can do to keep making that team better a little bit sooner is worthwhile. Like they should be a playoff contender again next year. What I'm seeing signaled in these deals so far is that people don't really want to take on money. So I actually think that Craig Kimbrell might be the value of the uh, of the trade deadline. So, like, what if they end up with Craig Kimbrell? 
because they're like, hey, we can take on the money. So we can actually get Craig Kimbrell for less than we sold Kendall Graveman. You know why the Astros couldn't get Kimbrell? Because they're right up on the luxury tax. And the luxury tax is a cap for a lot of teams. So uh, the Yankees sold players for money. They sold Justin Wilson and Luis Sessa. It's a tiny little deal. I don't even know if it's on the rundown. I don't think it is. But they sold Justin Wilson and Luis Sessa. And the reason that they paired those is that Justin Wilson had a few couple million left on his contract. I don't even think it's a full million. They wanted to get rid of a million dollars. So that tells me something about wh- how little they want to go over the luxury tax. Uh, that tells me a little bit something about how the uh, Astros didn't want to go over the luxury tax. And I don't think the Mariners are anywhere close. So if they could take on money, that's one thing I said in my article about 11 trades that need to happen was that the Giants' best asset right now is not necessarily prospects because I don't think that their prospects are that great behind the ones they don't want to trade. I think they don't want to trade Luis Matos. They don't want to trade Elliot Ramos. Uh, There's some idea that maybe they could trade uh, Joey Bart. Uh, He's being floated. But I think they don't want to trade Joey Bart either. But... If it's Craig Kimbrell and they say, hey, give us the $22 million left on his contract, maybe they don't have to do all that much. Yeah. Well, here's Mauricio Dubon. See ya. <laughs> That's it. And the Cubs that are would like, be Yay! That would be a kind of a fitting bookend where it's like, well, we got him for a reliever and now we're selling him for a reliever. Yep. And the Cubs get versatility and they're like, yeah, we can play this guy at seven positions and he doesn't cost any money. and. Yay! That's what He's, makes them happy right what now. Is that? There's a there's a meme on Twitter about uh, how we celebrate the raves for the Rays for making 20 moves that make them slightly worse and slightly cheaper. <laughs> yep. For what it's worth, I think the Rays' uh, next move, if there is one, will be uh, like this Marte one, where they make a surprising move for a rental. Um, and uh, don't touch their top a- prospects, but somehow uh, get like a Chris Bryant-esque uh, rental uh, into uh, Tampa. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big move for the Rays, and it's coming. It has to come soon. 4 o'clock Eastern on Friday, of course, is the deadline. We've got a few more moves to get to here in just a moment. We're going to pay a bill or two first. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, you know, we've got uh, a few more deals to get to and a few other possible deals looming. I'm hoping, I'm really hoping we get breaking news while we're recording. That's my absolute favorite. 
That's why I'm looking down. Sorry, YouTubers. I'm uh, I'm just uh, refreshing MLB trade rumors real quick, just in case something's happening, because I do love making that noise. Yes, it is. Uh, it's a good noise. <laughs> Probably the best noise we actually make on the pod. A sound effect we have on the internal soundboard. Uh, I just saw a note from Jake Kaplan. Astros prospect Pedro Leon fractured his left pinky while sliding at AAA on Monday, so he's expected to be out for six weeks. That probably ends his season. Could be a fall league guy, though. I wouldn't be surprised at all with the lost time if they give him a, a look out there and see how he holds himself against some of the best prospects around. But let's get to some more trades. Adam Frazier is a padre, and I think... I want him to be on the White Sox for the last three months. So this is just like the Starling Marte one where it's like just when you think there's an obvious fit for a player, the less obvious team swoops in. This seems like it's very bad for Jerks and Profar. But I've also seen I rumors that Eric Hosmer could be on yes. the move. He's at it's least really losing bad playing for time. Eric Hosmer. And that's how it's playing out. I think last night in the lineup, Adam Frazier led off and played second. And Jake Cronenworth played first base. And I've seen... I'm pretty sure uh, Jake Cronenworth steal uh, first base against righties. There might have been a righty uh, playing last night. I mm. should have that box score up if I'm going to say something like that. You just irresponsible, getting it wrong. There was a lefty, you idiot. Uh, no, let's see. Let's see who was pitching last night. It was That's a righty. It was, uh, it, was a, it was the A's. It was Caprellian. Yeah. And look at this. The Padres lineup. Oh, Hosmer was in at first. Okay, so it was maybe the night before. But Fraser was playing left, so that was bad for Profar. But um, I think I've, I, I swear I've seen Hosmer sit against a righty, but he's definitely sitting against all lefties now. Um, and uh, Cronenworth, who's a lefty, is just taking those at bats anyway. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Profar is not an amazing batter either. I think I was talking to somebody around the Padres, and they were saying his best skill is fouling balls off, which. <laughs> you know it's it's a thing um but uh he's you know they're they're fine uh hosmer is actually below replacement if you combine all four of the last years and the only time that he was actually above replacement in the last four years was that you know shortened 2020 season when we all said oh my god look at his launch angle and maybe he just didn't have time to to regress that year so um i don't know the uh the deals that I keep hearing about getting Hosmer out of there are like attaching Robert Hassel the third to get uh, Hosmer out of there. And I just, it might make some sense numbers analytics wise in terms of like surplus value and getting that money out and stuff. I, wow. I don't do it, man. I don't do it, man. If he's replacement level and you truly think he's replacement level, just cut him. You keep Hassel, cut Hosmer, pay him. Yeah, just pay him and cut him. Own the like, mistake. It's not like he's going to end up, like I can't imagine he ends up in L.A. or SF. <laughs> that is the nightmare scenario, though. If he, I mean, for the, okay, so maybe he's a replacement level guy. Maybe he's a tick better than that. You at least take the flyer if you're a lot of teams out there. In a more hitter-friendly environment, maybe get a like little he more probably, mileage out of the like power. on the league minimum, he would get some 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 action. I think for sure, yeah. And maybe there's enough interest where you can't just give him the league minimum. You got to pay him a little more. So, the Padres are on the hook for this for a while, though. That deal, Eric Hosmer's contract runs through 2025. I can't recall a time where with four, with four 
four full years remaining on a deal, a player was let go. So I, I think it is the old uh, package a really good prospect with a player and hope to get out of the contract that way. I mean, who's doing that? Like, what what teams do, do the Pirates do it? Just because I, they, I literally had an executive tell me it is practically impossible to move money. And think about what we just talked about. Jesus Lazardo is what it took to get $4 million. Yeah. I mean, I, I I didn't see that going down the way it did. So I don't what's know. The full, what's the full uh, rate on the Padres? It's, it's know, 18 million AAV. So it's about $72 million plus Whoa, the end of this dude, season. It's not happening, man. Nobody's taking 72 million on. The only teams that have that the wherewithal to do that, okay, I guess like uh, you could you could argue that like the Pirates and maybe the Cubs, but they don't really have like what are they going to do? They're going to say tell Rizzo to get lost and play Eric Hosmer because they got Robert Hassel for him. Yeah, trade uh, Rizzo and then go ahead and yeah make this move. We were talking about. Uh, uh, the the Giants have the wherewithal, so there could be some sort of like uh, three team type deal where the Giants absorb absorb the money and get a player, and then the prospect goes to the place. So we were talking about being bags with about Josh Donaldson, right? So let's say Josh Donaldson and Jose Barrios go to the Giants, right? Reasonable, but Farhan remembers Donaldson's effect on the clubhouse. Right now, the clubhouse in San Francisco seems super tight. I mean, Belt was just talking about it. Um, and it, it does seem actually pretty tight. It's hard to tell. We're not in the clubhouse. But um, when people just sort of bring it up out of nowhere, it seems it's one of those things. I don't know. I get the sense. Maybe you just don't want that. And also, you think Longoria is really close. And uh, maybe you prefer Longoria. Um Anyway, you then, in a separate deal, send Donaldson somewhere and absorb the money. Hmm. So by taking Donaldson along with Barrios, you give a lesser prospect to the Twins. Yep. Because you're taking the money. And then you just trade Donaldson along to somebody um, where you absorb the money and they give you a prospect back. You could actually end up getting a prospect, like especially if you eat enough money, that's similar to the prospect you gave up for bear like you know or at least replaces half the the value of the, the prospect you gave up so uh then you're like wow we just paid for burials well i think that's a little bit of what was happening with the rays like you were just mentioning this a little earlier the meme is always just about us praising the rays because they're so smart and they're so cheap they do all these things what they did with rich hill th- yes that is being cheap they have money they could have paid rich hill and kept rich hill they chose not to clearly they're kind of playing both sides. And I think there's there's a lesson here to be learned in fantasy management too, right? We see this in real baseball with these newer types of trades like the one you just described. That absolutely makes some sense. It takes extra work to get it done, but it's the best possible path forward. If it's the only way you can get Barrios and you want Barrios this year and next and you think he's the most impactful pitcher that you can trade for, you do it because you can't afford the money and you can get a player you'd like back from a different club. It just takes more effort. I had a situation earlier this year. There's a team in the mix in a keeper league I'm in competing with me to win this year. I traded Francisco Lindor to someone else to free up cap space to go get pitching. 
right? I needed starting pitching. I was up against the cap. I had plenty of bats, so it took two moves. So I traded Lindor for Larnack, who was really cheap, and then went out and made a separate deal. I didn't flip Larnack. I could have, but I traded someone else to go get pitching. And then it was like, all right, I made this deal work. I made another team a little better, but I actually made my team better too. So that was part of the cost of actually creating space to get the move done that I had to do. So I realized that a team's salary cap air quotes for the YouTube people out there. I know. There. Some people are yelling that it's not a cap, but it's, it's not a it's cap, but a cap. they, they, they the, operate under a budget, right? If they, you oh, yes, a fixed, they're given it, a budget. Okay, yeah. it's a budget. If you have a fixed budget, if your owner says you can spend this much and you can't go above this number, if you're the GM, you're a problem solver. You have to solve it by making sure you have enough room to go get the players you want to actually go win a championship. Sometimes it takes you five moves to acquire the three players you want. I think that's what we're seeing with the Rays. And it is amazing. When we were talking on Friday, you said... I could see the Mets getting a, a four or five inning lefty. And we were looking at the Rays depth chart. And I think all three of us were like, well, there's just no way the Rays are trading innings away right now because of the strain it would put on their young players. Ten minutes after we're done recording, Rich Hill to the Mets. But I get it because I think it's just part of a bigger plan. And it's not just the Rays are smart and everybody else. They're doing X, Y, and Z because they're ahead of the curve. It's just the way they choose to run that team, it was something they had to do in order to provide the balance on the budget to go get the next players that they needed to make that roster as good as it can be. And here's an interesting subplot that's developing. Rich Hill, like Kendall Graveman, was one of the biggest Stuff Plus losers since the Sticky Stuff fan. Hmm. And just watching him recently, because I, he was like a, a streamer that I was like, ooh, look what I found, and decided to keep on my roster in a couple places. I've just been begging him to get to five innings so he's really more on the three to four inning side um and i think the proof of the pudding is a little bit that the mets are being rumored in on starting pitching still <laughs> uh but if i had to guess i would guess that they wouldn't actually spend a lot for more starting pitching because they're just hoping that rich hill can be that band-aid until carlos carrasco starts friday uh jake DeGrom. It doesn't seem like a long-term thing, and Noah Syndergaard is throwing again. So I think that they're just uh, hoping for those kind of replacements rather than spending more prospect capital on pitching. So, yeah, money money is a theme. Spin rate is a theme. Um, and we'll have to see how that impacts uh, players like Chris Bryant, uh, who you know has a fair amount of money left on his contract um, you know, in this season. Uh, Anthony Rizzo is not super cheap. Craig Kimbrell is is on the block. Um, so maybe by doing some of that Rich Hill uh, action, the Rays are, are able to to get in on one of those uh, bigger-named guys. Right. I mean, a possible Max Scherzer trade. Like, the Rays could be right there, and it'd be fun. One thing, one thing I just don't understand. Um, the estimated payroll for the, for the Padres in San Diego is 174. And that includes... Luxury tax payroll. Oh, there it is. Now I'm getting it. That does not include benefits. Down at the bottom, it includes benefits. And right now, their estimated luxury tax payroll is $203 million. Now it all makes sense. So $203 million gives you $7 million. Max Scherzer costs $10 million. If you want Max Scherzer, then you need to sell Hosmer. 
Right. And then to get rid of the Hosmer contract, you got to give up Hassel. But Hassel alone for Scherzer wouldn't work because you wouldn't give up Hassel for two months of Scherzer. Hence the multiple moves just to take like that one big step forward. That's why I kind of think it's Barrios to the Padres. Uh, he costs less. Um, and you might be able to do some stuff with, let's see how much these guys cost. Uh, could you give them um, a major leaguer that costs some money? Denilson Lamette, four million dollars, which only means that he's only worth he's only co- he only gives you four point two million, so he get, only gives you a million plus back. But that might be all it takes, right? And um, there's also uh, Weathers and Paddock, but they are still arbitration so that's not saving a lot of money uh, but weathers and paddock are other assets that people aren't talking a lot about that could net them something because everything's talking about hassle camposano and abrams i think abrams is untouchable uh camposano is close and hassle would like to be untouchable but they'd also like to get like barrios and gallo so i think if i guess um they they sell like lamette Maybe one of Weathers and Paddock and Hassel in these different deals, and they get Barrios and Gallup. That's my guess. Have you seen Mackenzie Gore's name come up in any trade rumors at all? He used to be the untradeable. I mean, I I put him in. Yeah, yeah. you could throw he, Gore in that group. He should be part of that. I, Somebody, I mean, like it's, but it's a buy. I think it's a buy low for everybody at this point. It's not. He's not um, like a foundational asset in a trade. Yeah, it's a bad time to trade him. But uh, if you if you stripped away the financial considerations we were talking about, is he the kind of guy that gets moved for a top end rental? Is he does he is he like a Jesus Lazardo in terms of, hey, the Padres are getting Joey Gallo and Gallo's not even a rental. You'd have an extra year of Gallo, but is Gore plus something what you see in a deal like that? That's that's wild to think that his stock has fallen that much. Not that it shouldn't. I mean, he's he's not even pitching in games right now, which is just weird. He hasn't pitched in a game since June eighteenth. He's working on his delivery. Uh, in Arizona at the spring facility. Gore? Yeah. Oh, that's bizarre. I mean, that's how messed up his delivery is right now. It's not an innings thing. He's thrown 20 innings this year. And I know you can count innings at the alternate site, right? Those are those are still workload innings, even if they're not as high stress as a game situation. So it, it's not like his actual workload for the year is only 20 innings, but it's it's not a concern about game innings that's holding him back. Yeah. The other the other thing I could say is Will Myers' money is easier to move. Yeah. Uh it's only twenty two point five million next year. Um but this year critically might be seven or eight million. So to another team it's thirty million dollars on a player that's been a little bit more useful. So maybe um that's the ticket is that Myers leaves in one of these deals. And I think that like a team like the Twins could plug in Myers somewhere. Um, nah, twins have pretty good outfielders and first basemen. But there could be a team that would see some value in Myers and getting a prospect along with him, even if it's not hassle. So maybe you save the money on Myers with a with Gore. And then you, by saving that money, you can take on more money in the Gallo and Barrios deals and you, have to, you, and you don't have to uh, pay those down and then maybe you can get Barrios for Paddock 
and a lesser prospect and Gallo for Hassel. I do like the idea of Paddock in Minnesota be a good test to how good is their pitching development at this point. Where do you think Scherzer ends up? Because all the rumors are pointing him to one of those three NL West teams. I think the money makes it really complicated for the Padres in particular. So that seems like, to me, the least likely of the three. How do you see it Dodgers versus Giants as the most likely suitor in the division to land him? The Dodgers, I think, have just blown through it. They're at 260 on luxury tax, so I don't think they care. They have a, they have a fairly uh, large amount of money uh, tied up in a player that may be suspended the rest of the year and that might save them money or something. But it doesn't matter because they're way over the luxury tax and they're either going to get the player or they're not. It's all about whether the prospect, um, I think, for what they don't want to give up a, a very good prospect. So they have to, they're haggling over prospects. And I guess the same is true for San Francisco because San Francisco can take on the full money. They have they have they have sixty million dollars under the cap. Although now I realize I've been looking at the wrong numbers. So let me get that right. Uh, they are with the luxury tax. Yeah, yeah, there's sixty million under the cap. So I guess I guess I guess maybe Max Scherzer to the Giants. I would like to see Scherzer and Chris Bryant both end up in San Francisco, and I think Scherzer they can pull it off. Yeah, Kimbrel too. I mean, I, I kind of see a little bit of a need there in San Francisco at the back end of the bullpen. I've just I've been watching it a lot uh, recently, and Rogers is good, but I'd rather I'd love to use Rogers in like the sixth and seventh, uh, just because he allows contact. And so I just don't want with the game online two squibbers and you know. And then Jake McGee throws only fastballs. Like, I, like when I'm watching him, I'm always like, you know what's coming. Uh, he changes locations. And, and a little bit of movement, but still, it's one speed. I feel like uh, there's a, a limited amount of time that can work. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, some of the other names that were dealt, I think the most interesting prospect that was traded in some of the shuffling we talked about earlier, Tucapita Marcano was among the players the Padres sent to the Pirates in the Adam Frazier deal. Really young for the level. He spent most of this year at AAA, but he's been an up-and-down guy for them. The numbers at AAA are good. 272, 367, 444 for the slug. That matches a career high for him. He's walked more than he's struck out, and he's done a good job of hitting the ball in the air a little bit more often this season than he has in the past. Not at the big league level, but at AAA compared to what he was doing in the lower levels of the minors. I think he could end up being among the best prospects that are actually traded at this deadline, seeing how a lot of other deals are coming together and thinking more about players who maybe used to be prospects, but are either no longer eligible or have had injuries or other things that have pulled them off of those lists in recent years. I think that group of players is much more likely to be on the move than other current top 100 guys. Yeah, I guess the, the projections don't believe in the power, and it is a little bit of a recent uh, power surge with a recent change in batted ball mix. So, um, you know, without that 2020 data, you just don't know, has he been doing this for a year and a half, or has he been doing it for 200 plate appearances, you know? Um, and I guess some scouting can fill in the gaps there. Uh, but... I love guys that make that much contact, and it seems like the Pirates do. They seem to be really um, targeting that type of player. Um, that's something I've seen uh, from the Rays in the past. They just did a similar type deal uh, where they gave up Cronenworth. It wasn't great, um, but they got Xavier Edwards, who might profile similarly. 
Am I wrong? No, I think that's a, a pretty similar build for sure. And I think with Marcano, I think because he's so young for the level, I'm more optimistic about the power long term. Only 35 batted balls so far and 50 plate appearances. No barrels yet. So average exit velocity, Bad max exit velocity. Are, they're, they're low, but for his age and given the up and down nature of those plate appearances, I do think the way players I would are getting those early plate Adam appearances Frazier, matter. <laughs> oh, for sure. Because worst case scenario, you just got younger Adam Frazier and you, a guy that probably runs better because of age too. And best case scenario, you actually get a guy who's better. And the nice thing in, in Pittsburgh also is that you clear up uh, playing time for an interesting young player uh, who I think will get most of the playing time uh, in front of Topeka. Tupicado? Tucapita. Tucapita? Marcano. Um, uh, he will get more uh, playing time in front of Marcano is Rodolfo Castro, who is, uh, also had uh, a major change recently in terms of contact rate, uh, or at least strikeout rate, uh, but is projected to strike out too much um, and walk too little and, uh, and hit for some power. He had really announced himself with three homers in his first 19 plate appearances. Um, and I'm intrigued uh, by uh, three barrels that quickly. The max DV is also not great, uh, but the launch angle, he doesn't beat it into the ground um, like Marcano did in his first shot at the big leagues. So I am watching Castro pretty quick, closely because there is an opportunity here for him to be a 250 hitter with 20 homer power and five steals or so. Um, you know, that's a decent little player. And just having seen him up close, he's yoked. He is jacked. He is like a little jacked dude. Is, is it the fire hydrant? <laughs> it's, it's pretty close to fire hydrant. I was like, oh, I like this. This is a fire hydrant. <laughs> I mean, the pirates are still pretty early in their process, relatively speaking. They're a few years away from being good, but I, I do like some of the things they're doing on the edges of this roster. Castro, certainly an interesting player. I would assume that Gregory Polanco is playing for a contender, even if the Pirates are footing most of the bill, and he's just a, a bench guy for his new team. That makes a lot of sense. The key is whether or not they move Brian Reynolds, because Reynolds, I think, would actually get them back quite a bit. Uh, I think Brian Hayes is probably on the next good Pirates team. Brian Reynolds is a little more borderline, but showing us that what he did back in 2019 was real and then some. I think they'll. I think they'll hold him. I think they'll hold him. Uh, I think that if you can't, if you think that your rebuild is going to take more than four years, man, then you're too gotta, long. That's a long time to be telling the owner, "Oh, give us another year." So, yeah, I think yeah. with and and then like I can I can sort of squint and be like, "Ooh, let's say Castro hits his like upper level outcomes, right?" Castro, Hayes, Reynolds, two, three, four. Yeah, it's not bad, you know. And then and then you start moving your pitchers a little bit more aggressively because you've you've got a two three four and you kind of push them to the major league. So uh, I don't think I, I, people act like the Pirates have been dumb forever. Do they not remember that the Pirates were a really really good team for two to three years? People wrote books about how good they were. They were a good team at just the slightly wrong time. Like they they could have done more damage in the postseason in most other years, especially coming out of the NL Central. But it, yeah, it overlapped the, the Cubs and the Cardinals and the Brewers all being pretty good at the same time. I would, obviously, the Cubs got the World Series a few years ago too, but uh, some 
unfortunate timing for an organization that's been mostly bad for the last 30 years. They did have a nice like three to four year window where they had the pieces in place to be. They've been skinflint the whole time, but there have been other teams that have been skinflint that have, that have done well. So I, I think the the Pirates could turn it around. Absolutely. Uh, any other trade rumors you've been hearing that you think are particularly interesting? Obviously, we'll get to more of these on on Friday too. But was there anything else that you've heard recently? You're like, yeah, that makes sense. I actually want to see that happen. No, um, I, uh, I, I, I just I wonder about the Cubs four. I think the Cubs four are super interesting. Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, and Kimbrel. It's interesting because I think everybody kind of wants Kimbrel, but they don't want the $22 million. So that changes his value and says maybe it's not that much. Rizzo, not in the middle of a great campaign. Um, also trying to negotiate an extension with the Cubs. Seems like a face of the franchise type guy. Seems like you could maybe get to some agreement where it's like six for 100 and something. and might not even be that bad of a deal because he's a really disciplined hitter that could be sort of Vatoian for your franchise in terms of, you know, maybe it's not amazing at the end of the deal, but like finds ways to contribute, like leads the league and hit, hit by pitches and like gets on pace. You know what I mean? Like uh, Rizzo uh, is not um, a super lumbering first baseman. He's like stolen bases and he's still pretty athletic. And that eye just gives him, gives me some reason to believe that you could bet on him. Not on like a two or three hundred million dollar level, but uh, on that sort of lesser level. Uh, plus, um, it's the Cubs, man. You got some money. You can reward some guys for giving you your first title in like a hundred years. You know, like if there's anybody to reward, it might be him. Baez uh, is super important, but I just, I just think he's the a terrible collection of skills to bet on long term in terms of he reaches outside the zone a lot and makes not much contact inside the zone i just think that's going to age really badly in terms of short short term pick me up i I could see it um but i think uh, story is a is a superior rental bryant's might get them the most back because he doesn't cost that much money and he's versatile so like being able to like the Giants could like love to get Bryant and like, well, third base until long goes back, maybe center later, you know, like we're a versatile team. We love your versatility. You're going to it's going to play. Um, so I, I think actually to answer your question, Bryant, Bryant is the one that's very interesting to me. People talk about his exit velo. His exit velo has never been good, but his barrel rate's always been good. And his barrel rate is good as again. He's super versatile. He's a good addition. It'll probably be a rental because he's already talking about how he would sign with the Cubs again. <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, that's that's what you're you're getting. So the the Brian is super. I think the, all four of them are interesting for their own ways. Um, and I could see, I could see one leaving. If I had to bet on one leaving, if you had to bet on one leaving, who's the one that leaves? Bryant. Right. Okay. Yeah. If it's two, Bryant and Kimbrell. And if anybody signs long. I think Rizzo actually is the the long time signer. I think for the reasons you mentioned, I think he is the kind of guy that probably won't burn you, probably won't turn into a Hosmer type contract. That's the fear, of course. But but he's had better seasons than Hosmer ever did before yeah. he signed. Yeah, you know? much better peak, much more consistency from him. Weird, the power's been down uh, since the beginning of last season. I don't know if people can hear Hazel the Golden Doodle uh, vigorously disagreeing in the background. <laughs> she the Cubs should keep them all. 
and run the franchise into the ground. Hazel, of course, wears a Brewer's collar every single day. (laughs) If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get to a couple mailbag questions before we go. This one comes in from Eric. He writes, I was curious about short sample signature significance. We tend to recognize extreme production over a short sample as noteworthy. For instance, Randy Rosarena had an incredible 100 at-bat stretch last year, and based on that, he was universally expected to be, at the very least, a very good major league hitter. Let's say a nondescript pitcher throws six dominant starts in September. He will head into the following season with fairly lofty expectations because of those six starts. My question is, should signature significance in a short sample go the other way? And I'm referring specifically to Jared Kelnick, who hasn't just struggled, but he's been non-competitive. By the time I'm writing this, he's had 111 plate appearances with a 185 slugging and a 6 WRC+. Plus. He's been as bad as a Rosarena was good. We know high-profile prospects tend to struggle at first. Trout always comes to mind, but I can't recall any struggling this badly. I mean, Kelnick is literally not doing much better than I would. With all of that, should we have any concern about his long-term outlook? Uh, first off, thanks for the email, Eric. Secondly, I'd love to bet the under on a 6 WRC plus from any of our listeners. With all due respect to all of you, um, <laughs> even a 6 WRC plus in the big leagues, it's not happening for uh, 99.99% of us. Uh, but what do you make of this when you see extreme struggles in a sample like this? Because I do think the core of, of Eric's email is something I've found to be true. The recency bias tends to skew more heavily in favor of a player who's done well in a small sample compared to uh, skewing negatively for a player who struggled in an equally small sample. Yeah, I was uh, hurriedly looking for the uh, I was hurriedly looking for the tweet, uh, but I found uh, I, c- I couldn't find it, but there was a tweet that was like, you know, here are the worst starts to a career through. I guess it was like 180 player or 150 player appearances. Yeah, Kellen just said 135. Um, and it was like Andy Marte, Brandon Wood. Um, yeah, it was a bad list. 
The best player on the list was Josh Donaldson, um, who had a a really poor start, but also that would be uh, disastrous for the Mariners too, because that would mean if you follow the Josh Donaldson path, it would mean um, he's better for another team five years from now, basically. I mean, Donaldson's a, a late peaker that uh, got traded, you know, traded a couple times, I think, or at least once. And, um, just didn't, you know, it took a, it took a while to, to be Josh Donaldson. So, um, yeah, that's the risk. It's definitely a risk. I think that the, uh, the, the star has fallen pretty badly. Uh, what we're seeing is that those strikeout rates, uh, in the minors that, uh, had fairly high swing strike rates attached to them, um, are beginning, uh, bigger strikeout rates in the majors. Um, and he's got a 12% swing strike rate. Let's, uh, let's look at, uh, qualified major league hitters, uh, by their, their swing strike rate. Let's just throw it on the fan graphs thing so we can see it from the beginning. Um, what I'm going to find is that, um, a 12% swing strike rate is going to beget uh, a bad batting average. I mean, that's just, that's, uh, that's, let's see here. There's other 12% swing strike rate guys. Um, Ryan McMahon, Adam Duvall, Dansby Swanson, but still only a 240. Will Myers, Dominic Smith. Who's the best batting average on here? Mitch Hanniger, 262. Uh, Austin Riley at 287, but that's with a 340 Babbitt. Yeah. Uh, Vlad Guerrero. I mean, he could, I guess he could be Vlad Guerrero, uh, but we're also not seeing any of the batted ball quality along with that. So the things that I try to look at in these small samples to like coax some more noise out are swing strike rate, uh, O swing where uh, Kellenich is, is league average. So maybe there could be some improvement there. And then the stat cast numbers, which have Kellenich, he has hit one one a ball one oh nine, which is slightly above average. Has a five percent bail rate, which is not great, and thirty four thirty four percent hard hit. So basically, our assumptions about his power and contact, I think, have changed, and he no longer looks like someone who might ISO at a two fifty rate or strike out at twenty percent. That's where you're at, though. Like I, I'm not there. I, I, I've got. I don't. This is. This is really half baked, but I'm gonna throw it out there anyway. I think I'm I'm leaning into the fact that I've heard multiple reports now that the gap between AAA and the big leagues has never been wider. I don't know how you can measure that effectively, but I think because of the canceled minor league season, I'm more willing to accept an extreme negative outlier from any minor league player going to the big leagues this year than I would be in the past. And the other thing with Kelnick is that he's basically split this season between Tacoma and Seattle, right? And he's still 21. What he was doing at Tacoma was another piece of the puzzle that continued to paint the same picture we were getting at the previous stops. A 15.4% K rate, a 10.5% walk rate, a 320, 392, 624 Six slash line. Strike, strike rate, strike rate. Yeah, it's like, I, I agree with what Eric is saying just from a broader perspective. Like, we should be a little more careful, maybe a lot more careful with small sample guys that erupt like a Rosarena did 
because we, we don't want to regress them. We want to believe those players and those lines. But Rosarena is a very good hitter still. And he, he has been with with some flaws, of course, right? right. The, the O swing has been pretty high or retrade as we call it a lot on the yeah. show. I think it just, it, it would be, to me, it would be foolish to significantly lower the expectations. Should you modify them? Maybe. Maybe we can learn enough about 34 games, first 34 games of a big league career to say, we thought the ceiling was a possible future 60-grade player, a guy that was going to hit 30 home runs. We're seeing enough right now. We should bring that ceiling down closer to 25 home runs. And instead of being a 280 guy, we think he's more of a 265, 270 guy. That's a fairly small adjustment in the grand scheme of things. It's still a very good player, but it's an adjustment nonetheless. The names you were comping him to, though, like that's a scary list. Like Anytime you look at historical comps, you start pulling out Brandon Wood's name, you're not feeling real good about that. So... Like I understand, like the the best indicator of, of future results is, is past performance, and got to learn from history to not make the same mistakes over and over again. And a lot of those guys in that list were very highly regarded prospects. I think wasn't Marte on the cover of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook? I think Wood was too. So it's not like those guys were at all like borderline. Like oh, it's like the fifteenth best prospect in the game. Those guys were supposed to be legitimately great, just as Kelnick is supposed to be legitimately great but I think because things have gone so well for him at AAA this year I'm still very optimistic about his long-term future even if it's going to be a longer road for him to get there than we'd hoped yeah I guess you could look at that reach rate and say well he's not he's not he's not swinging at everything you know his his reach rate and swing rate are about league average so you know, if he's not swinging at everything and that's working for, and he's, and he's, you know, got the low swing strike rate in AAA, I just, uh, I'd set the over under on strikeout rate the rest of his career around 26. It's funny. It's what the bat has him projected at for the rest of the season. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the under. I don't know how we could track this, uh, and remember this effectively, but someday when we're old and, my hair is very gray instead of just a little gray. We will check in on this bet, and we'll see. I'll take the under on 26%. I'll even give you the the first 34 games. Under under a 26% career rate for Jared Kelnick when his big league career ends. So commit that to memory, somebody out there. Remind us over a pint someday. Like, you guys had a Jared Kelnick bet, and it'll be awesome. I think the under uh, on the ISO has to be, the over-under on the ISO has to be around 200 Two hundred ISO is pretty strong. I could, I could see that going slight under, but I'd probably take the over on that. So I'm still more optimistic than your projection for Kalnick in the long run. I'm pretty interested. I, I'm interested to see how this this turns out. I mean, the list of players was not good, um, but the plate discipline's not terrible, and he has hit a couple balls hard. Yeah, and he's not a worm burner machine out there, so you're not worried about him just pounding the ball on the ground. Yeah, it could just be that uh, because he was a top prospect, uh, he got to the major leagues with a book on him already. I do wonder about that. Uh, I know it's something we heard with Vlad Jr. a few years ago, and uh, increasingly teams are fully aware of the strengths and weaknesses of those top prospects, and they're ready to get that circulated as quickly as possible. Uh, thanks a lot for that question, Eric. Definitely a fun long-term bet that I'm, I'm going to find a way to remember. Maybe I'll put a calendar reminder in uh, for 10 years from now or something like that to check in. Hopefully his career is still going 10 years from now. That'd be pretty fun and probably a sign that I won the bet more likely than not. Up and away.
up and away. Up and away is the hole. Up and away. Uh, fastballs up and away. I'm on it. I think he's going to be good. Still going to be good. So I'm going to want to take these 34 games with the necessary. Holes up in the zone are pretty tough, though, man. That ended. Uh, with, I love him. What, what? I can't remember his name. I love him. I mean, I'm living the Keston here nightmare too. Yeah, Brandon Moss ended his career. But at 21, I'll give him. I'll give him a chance to adjust and show us something there. Kyle Schwarber has certainly uh, figured that one out. There you go. Before we go, I should say you should subscribe to The Athletic for three ninety nine a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can get all of the stuff we have around the trade deadline, all the great baseball coverage, all the follow-up stories, everything site-wide, all of Eno's pieces as well. Eventually, I will write up all the prospects that are interesting that were moved from the deadline. It's probably going to be, ooh, I don't know when that's coming out, but uh, at some point in a prospect column, we'll take a look at some of those players and see if there are any possible deep, deep sleepers in there. Again, three ninety nine a month gets you the door at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. On Twitter, you can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com is the email address. Keep the emails coming. I'll get to them. We'll have them on the show sooner rather than later. Friday, obviously, will be pretty packed as well, of course, with more trades likely coming down. But that's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Be sure to check out Eno on Thursday afternoon on Twitter Spaces. we got some pre-deadline stuff happening there. We've got our Friday show. And then, of course, Friday afternoon at 4 Eastern, the Athletic Baseball Show goes live. I'll be on with Keith Law and some of our beat writers as well. So that'll be a lot of fun as well. So we'll be back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening.